Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined as always by the kid, the god, the legend, Celtics beat reporter from the Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen, and we are coming to you about two and a half, three hours after the NBA trade deadline and big news, a blockbuster, baby. The Celtics have traded for Mike Muscala. Jay, is this the kind of fireworks you were expecting from the Celtics headed into this morning? Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Uh, I mean, they were gonna pretty much they were gonna get a backup center. It's been pretty clear they were gonna look for a backup center. Yaka uh, Pertle was like certainly somebody they were interested in, but they were probably never going to be able to or or want to match his price considering they already have Al Horford and Robert Williams for at least the next two years each. Uh, in Robert Williams' case, three more years after this one. So I don't think that ever really made perfect sense. And there was always going to be another team probably willing to give up more. Uh, and so Mike Muscal it is, bro. He is a tall. That's a good thing. Six foot ten. He is a guy who can shoot. And so anytime you can add a six foot ten guy who is right around forty percent from three, I think that works well. It's just in terms of the backup bigs, in terms of the Celtics offense being able to play a little five out, stretch the floor. You obviously will imagine that he's gonna get a lot of corner threes. He doesn't really do uh it's not like he's a guy who's going to be guarding on the perimeter. He doesn't make it so the Celtics can play a little bit differently, which I know something you talked about is something they might try to do in terms of uh, upgrading that position. But they gave up, what, Justin Jackson and two second-round picks? Like, nothing from the rotation to add a guy who could be helpful. So uh, it feels like a real no-harm-no-foul trade. Yeah, and 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 it's it's always been clear that backup – center is an important position for them because Al Horford is 36. He'll be 37 in June. Robert Williams is injury prone, including this season. And they need to have somebody capable of playing in a playoff game. And not only that, because now they think Luke Cornette is capable of playing in a playoff game, but he, he's kind of a one trick pony. Like, he used to shoot threes. He doesn't do that anymore. Um, he basically plays drop coverage, and Mike Muscala oh, is going to play a lot of drop coverage, too. He's got too. two tricks that I can think of right now. The Cornette contest 
and reverse alley oop dunks. So at least he's a he's a two trick <laughs> pony. He's not the most versatile player, is what I'm trying to say. And now that he no longer shoots threes, and like the, the Celtics were interested in finding somebody who could space the court for them, and they thought they had that Danilo Gallinari before the season, but obviously he's been hurt, hasn't played yet. Uh, we can talk about him because one of the notable things from the trade deadline is that they kept him, and obviously, like, seems like a long shot that he will actually impact them at some point this season. Uh, because it'd be a really quick turnaround on the ACL, and then he would have to ramp up like basically during the playoff time. So it sounds like a long shot, but he's still around, and he's, he at least still has hopes of that. Um, so it's worth noting. And yeah, but Muscala can give them, like, he's a really good shooter. He's shot better than 40% over the last two seasons on high volume. He shoots about nine threes per 36 minutes, which is a lot. Um, and the Thunder over the last three seasons, they've been really bad. Most of the time, they're okay now, but they have been much, much, much more competent with Mike Muscala on the floor, including this season when they've actually beaten teams by 9.8 points per 100 possessions with him on the court so he does stuff that helps a team he's a pretty good defender he can protect the rim okay uh and and he can really shoot and so that's why the Celtics wanted him that's why they brought him in and now they won't have to worry about teams like the 76ers just like totally ignoring their big men for an entire game and it they didn't have to worry worked. about that last night either because Blake Griffin but came in and uh Blake Griffin went bonkers but also like that could have gone very wrong for the Celtics imagine if Blake Griffin had missed his first two oh, so <laughs> and then gotten gun shy you know and and that's something that could realistically happen in the playoffs uh, maybe not Blake Griffin minutes but like um the the lack of offense in that spot could have been an issue if Al Horford or, or Robert Williams missed time in the playoffs. And and so getting Muscala is like not the biggest deal ever. He's not gonna like in 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 their dream scenario, he will be a bit piece in the playoffs and they won't need him much, if at all, during huge games. But he's just another another option. Uh, and gives them a, a different way to play behind Al Horford and Robert Williams, which they felt was really important. Yeah, I think the ideal scenario for Muscala is he's just like plays what, like eight, eight, ten minutes a game in the regular season. And then there's just one stretch in a playoff series where they play five out and some team, maybe it's the Sixers, are just like, we're not going to uh, guard Muscala in the corner. And he hits three to four threes and the Celtics win that game and it's forever known as the Mike Muscala game like that is the top expectation all you could hope for you're basically calling him Kelly Olenek that, that like you just you just detailed the Kelly Olenek game and called it the Mike Muscala game. I'm saying like the the ceiling of what Mike Muscala could turn into in a Celtics uniform is yes winning them a game seven in the Eastern Conference semifinals based on shot making and playmaking alone yeah I think if he has a Kelly Olynyk game, successful trade. Yeah, I mean that would be very nice for them. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and they were able to do it without, like you said, without touching any of the guys who could feasibly play minutes in the rotation in the playoffs. They held on to Peyton Pritchard, 
uh, who has made some comments recently, obviously, about wanting out at some point or wanting a bigger role, at least at some point. But I don't think it was it wasn't it didn't cause a stir necessary to move. He's never caused a stir. He's been bought in from the start. He's ready when they need him to be. And honestly, like Marcus Smart has been injury prone. Malcolm Brogdon has been injury prone. Having good guard depth could be important. He won't play a lot every day. He won't, you know, be in the playoff rotation if they're fully healthy. But, but keeping him is is definitely like having depth at that position is important because Smart and Brogdon have been as injury prone as they have been throughout their careers. Yeah, and just having guys like him and Muscala, probably not in the main rotation, but available in case of injury is just definitely good roster construction. I think speaking of depth, we have to talk about uh, Jalen Brown getting elbowed in the face, some friendly fire last night, breaking his face, uh, which was initially reported as just a, a facial contusion, and I believe... The person I was sitting next to at the Celtics sisters, uh, Sixers game just uh, questioned his toughness for not returning. I won't reveal who that was, but broke his face. That's uh, that, He's going to be out for a while. We'll probably come back with a mask. It's not going to be a, a long-term injury, but it uh, seems like he'll be out till the All-Star break. So depth, uh, maybe Peyton Pritchard will get some more opportunities. But uh, yeah, I guess what's, what's the reaction to uh, Jalen Brown breaking his face? I mean, it's never great to break your face. No, not ideal. Uh, and you you could sort of tell right away that he was really bothered by it. It was friendly fire. Jason Tatum hit him with the elbow. And it was a weird scene because Tatum, like, didn't seem to notice that Jalen was badly hurt at first. Oh, he was trying was to argue a foul to the call. Ref. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was complaining to the ref instead of helping up Jalen. And then, then Jalen just kind of, like, like went off to the locker room holding his jaw. You you could tell that he was uh pretty irritated in that moment, probably because he broke his face. Yeah, uh, held his face <laughs> immediately, went off the court, and uh, he's going to be out. I think the Celtics can survive it, but they like they clearly have uh, struggled with Marcus Smart out. I think they're going to struggle to replace just the sheer number of buckets that Jalen Brown's got. The the game against the Sixers was the first time all season that neither Jalen or Jason was the uh, team leader in points. Uh, we can just talk about that game a little bit because it was absolutely absurd, uh, the, the amount of three-point shot making that the Celtics did. I saw a lot of people online being like, incredible win for the Celtics. They showed a lot of toughness because they were out, all these guys. And I think there's something to that. Like, I thought Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, and Grant Williams played uh, a pretty good game, but they just had just like some of the most ridiculous three point shot making. Like when you shoot over fifty percent from three, you can you can make up for a lot of mistakes. And I don't know how much of that was like Doc Rivers after the game seemed to say it was like oh they gave it was the Sixers' fault for giving up a bunch of open threes and things like that. But I don't know. Maybe I I kind of felt like the Celtics were lucky at least uh, to kind of survive that first quarter. Um, just that first quarter was just a gross first quarter, but then the 76ers just left Blake Griffin wide open and he was just, just drilling jumpers. And, and so it was funny because like that strategy 
allowed it took away a lot of what the Celtics did, like limited Tatum. Um, he only had 12 points, his lowest total of the season. He only took 15 shots, tied for his lowest total of the season. Um, so they were able to force the ball out of his hands. And I think the Celtics had five or six turnovers in the first quarter too. So they were able to muck things up. But then Blake Griffin, career 32.9% three-point shooter, just drilled everything. Yeah, but what's his, uh, what's his percentage in the corner? A couple, if he misses a couple, that goes differently. Uh, but he didn't. And they were literally wide open shots, like as wide open as wide open gets on a lot of those looks. It was like Grant Williams against the Bucks in game seven. But he wasn't the only one making threes. Like Brogdon hit a bunch. Uh, we don't talk about it enough. Brogdon shooting 45% from three this year in the top. I think he's the third highest percentage of people who qualify. Derek White hit a huge three with the, I think the Celtics up five with about a minute and a half left that you're just like, immediate catch and shoot a kind that was a huge of aggressive three. three you're not really used to seeing Derek White attempt but he also took a wild pull-up three that was like it was like a Tatum shot he knew he knew that play the the scores were out and it was on him to uh, get more buckets he, he missed it but <laughs> it was probably the most confident shot I've seen from Derek White it was just a wild not even a wild pull because a lot of guys in the NBA guards in the NBA shoot that but it was it was not something that Derek White ever does. Uh, so I enjoyed that. And then I just thought Grant Williams' defense on Joel Embiid was awesome. Yeah, I mean. Like he did a really good job in that match. Joel Embiid, I don't think, like, had a drive in the second half. He scored 14 points in the first quarter, and you thought, like, oh, no. He could go for 40. He could go for 50 tonight. And whatever Grant Williams was doing, he was being very physical and keeping, like, Joel Embiid out of the paint and not catching the ball in the paint. And I say this partly joking, but partly I like did think Joel Embiid looked tired uh, in that game and was just forever for for whatever reason just not going like being as physical and just like not taking the ball to the rim every time. Like I feel like we've we've seen him do against the Celtics, but you do have to give Grant credit because uh, he didn't get in foul trouble. I predicted before the game, just like or in the first couple of minutes, it's like oh Grant's going to be on both James Harden uh, switching out and. The main defender and Joel Embiid, he's obviously going to foul out. And Grant just did a really good job of just like not committing the dumb fouls on Embiid and not doing any of that and just kind of keeping him uh, in his position. And then I thought Tatum did a pretty good job of like timing the double teams to get the ball out of uh, Joel's hand. It was just a, a pretty solid defensive performance from the Celtics uh, because the, the Sixers, there's a stretches there where the, the Celtics offense wasn't great, but the Sixers couldn't get uh, all the way back in it because they couldn't get any buckets. Yeah, and it was just it was just an example of how many good defenders the Celtics have. They were missing the defensive player of the year, uh, uh, the second team all defense center and Robert Williams and Al Horford, who's just as polished as polished gets as a defender and super helpful. So to be out all those guys and still do that job on Joel Embiid um, was just like really really impressive. And obviously the the Sixers didn't hit a lot of shots, and the Celtics did. And shot luck, I'm sure, favored the Celtics by quite a bit. But but they didn't foul Embiid. They didn't. They after the first quarter, they really limited his easy buckets. Like he got nothing easy at all. Um, and they it was just just a really really good team performance, um, especially on a night when 
when Tatum didn't have it scoring wise and and they were really selling out to take him away and they could because the Celtics were missing four starters um the other guys made made Philadelphia pay for that though and that that's going to be important in the playoffs obviously won't always be those same guys playing during the playoffs but teams will force the ball out of Tatum's hands and he'll have to trust it and guys will have to make those shots um I think it's a pretty Let's big... Let's talk about... Oh, you're stepping all over oh, my ahead. transition, bro. I was going to say, pretty good win in the Eastern Conference standings uh, because they created some separation between them and Philadelphia. But speaking of those Eastern Conference standings, the rest of the East made some trades. See how I did that? See how I transitioned from topic to topic? You didn't believe in me, Jay. You have to... Tra- the West made some trades, too. <laughs> the Both whole conferences making trades. 13 trades, uh, I think, in the last... Uh, or 16 trades in like the last 13 hours before the deadline. Obviously, the biggest trade uh, and kind of a surprise after hearing that the Nets weren't going to trade Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant going to the Phoenix Suns for, what was it, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Thomas, and four first-round picks plus a swap. Uh, obviously, the Nets were going to be a little bit worse with well, – not obviously. I thought they actually had a pretty decent team in place with what they got back from Kyrie Irving, but – now the Nets are no longer uh, a likely top four team. Uh, what's your reaction to the KD trade? And are the Suns now like the favorites to come out of the West? Yes, they are the favorites to come out of the West. Uh, You're saying Kevin Durant's good? Kevin Durant, very good at basketball. Uh, and putting him with Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Like Chris Paul had a tough start to the season, but has really been playing pretty well lately. Devin Booker has been hurt lately, but was just dicing up teams at the start of the season. And the Suns were awesome with him on the court earlier in the season. The Suns had to give up a lot to to make the trade happen. Um, but it's Kevin Durant. But, it's Kevin but Durant. It's Kev- you know who it's he is. It's Kevin Durant. The supporting cast won't be the same, but as long as Durant, Booker, and Paul can stay healthy. And, that, and that's, a, that's a question mark because – those guys have all had injuries. Uh, Chris Paul has had a number of injuries during the playoffs throughout his career. Uh, so that it's it's not like a certainty that this team will be at full strength during the, the playoffs when they need to be at full strength. But that is an absolutely potent trio. And especially Durant and Booker, like good luck guarding those dudes, both of them. You got. You better have a lot of wing defenders. You better have a lot of size. You better have smart guys, and you better be able to tip your cap when they still hit mid-range bullshit over the top of your head over and over and over again. Um, so yeah, I think they're the favorites now in the West, if only because nobody else has really seized that throne the whole season, uh, and that's not the only reason. I mean, Kevin Durant. Devin Booker and Chris Paul are together. Yeah. It seems pretty important. You're basically uh, adding but, Kevin Durant to a core that had the best record in the league last year and went to the finals the year before that. I understand Mikhail Bridges is a very solid defender, but you trade him and Cam Thomas and all the picks for Kevin Durant a thousand out of a thousand times. Like, that is just such a potent team that it's going to make the West a lot more interesting. Uh, and presumably, they. They should be the favorites, but who knows? That's why they play the games, folks. That's why they play the games. It- and, and one injury could change that. Like, 
the supporting cast is I think it's okay. Uh like they, they don't have like just they won't be playing just scrubs. I mean they did get Darius Baisley, so watch out. Watch out. Former <laughs> uh New Balance intern, wasn't he? Oh yeah. He took a, a year off in between high school to yeah, was it New Balance? It was New Balance. It was New Balance, yeah, in Boston. Um random piece of trivia for you there. But and then other teams loaded up too. I, I think the Bucks who knows what Jay Crowder will look That's like. That's the crazy thing is we have no idea what boss man is uh what his status is right now. Who knows what he's been up to over the past few months? Uh, has he been in the gym? Is he in great shape? Uh but also he kind of he fell is, off though, like from his I think Miami Heat championship run. Like even last year with the Clippers, he was not shooting I mean not Clippers, the Suns. With the Suns. He was not shooting the three as well as um he had in the past. And so it's gonna be interesting to see if he can provide the the Bucks with like kind of three point shooting. He definitely gives them some toughness and uh like some physicality on defensive end. I don't know if he fills in to that kind of PJ Tucker role perfectly. I think PJ Tucker's a better defender, but it is just a, a solid addition to the Bucks rotation, hypothetically. Hypothetically, if Bossman's been in the gym and, and is staying in shape. Yeah, because they're just gonna be huge. Like, just enormous. And their defense is already awesome. And now they've added Crowder to it. They're going to be, I mean, assuming he starts, it'll be Holiday, Crowder, Middleton, Giannis, and Brooke Lopez. Like, that is just enormous with Connaughton and Bobby Portis. Like, just huge dudes. Just so much size there. But do, uh, the question is, is like, does he provide any spacing for Giannis or for that team on offense? Because the Bucks defense has been very good all year. The where, where they've struggled is just their inability to produce, especially in the half court. And I don't really know if Jay Crowder is the one who's like really making a big impact over that. I agree they're going to be a giant team, but even without Jay Crowder, they were a giant team because they have Giannis and Brooke Lopez. Yeah, but they've won a bunch of games in a row. Middleton is finally back and playing well. And and Middleton, like, he alone changes their offense. Forget the guys who will be shooting around him. And Crowder, it's a weird thing. Like, every once in a while, he'll just shoot 40% in a season. And then the other times, he's like 32, 33. So what, Jay Crowder, are you going to get? A well-rested <laughs> if it's one. 40%, if it's 40%, that's dangerous. If it's not then uh, he'll still get him up there, I'm sure, and, and that'll help the spacing a little bit because teams have to guard him because he is capable and he will get him up. But that's definitely the question. But I, I, they definitely got better. And then, I mean, there were a lot of teams that almost – it was – I feel like normally a lot of the, the bigger-name teams don't necessarily make a move. Like the, the teams – near the top of the conference, but this time so many made a move. The Warriors went out and got Gary Payton the second, who they could have just kept in free agency. <laughs> yeah, but they also the, uh, dumped James Wiseman to the Pistons. Who do, Well, that doesn't make any sense to me for the Pistons, considering how good Jalen Duran, Duran, not sure how you pronounce it. He's been really good, so I don't know why you just kind of stunt his development by putting James Wiseman there, but... That seems like a, a decent move so the Warriors don't have to pay as much in luxury tax. 
I like it for the Pistons too, because he's a number two overall. He's a freak, like absolutely enormous. Can run and jump, and and obviously his career has not gone well so far. But I would like to see him give it. If I'm in the Pistons situation, and it doesn't really matter if I win games this season, that's the type of guy I'd be betting on. Um, and just to see what it looks like, see if he can make an impact, see if he can improve, see if maybe in a different situation where things aren't as Steph centric and he can run more pick and rolls and stuff like that. Like, just see what, what happens from it. Um, uh, I don't have too much faith in it because <laughs> he has been really bad, but, but that, that's a, to me, it's a good gamble. How does it feel knowing that you were in the building for Matisse Tybel's last game as a member of the 76ers? That was... Uh, was it impactful for I you? Mean, Are you going to look back and be like, man, Matisse made that three? I was there the day Matisse Tybel hit <laughs> the side of the backboard. Well, he... Uh, so he goes to the Blazers. It's a three-team deal. The Sixers add Jalen McDaniel. Um, I'm a little biased. I'm a big fan of Jalen McDaniel, but he was a, a Nick Friedman disciple, and so I've been uh, hyped into his game. But I don't. I think he's a good three and D wing, um, and he can obviously play knockdown shots better than Matisse Tybel. But I don't know if this really changes anything for the Sixers, who right now it feels like there's like the Nets are going to fall off. And it's a three-team race at the top of the, the East. The Nets are still pretty good. They're though. not a top four seed. They have just so they many. They have a lot of good players. They do. They have like a like a bunch of guys who in NBA 2K are ra- like rated between 78 and 82, and they just have eight of them, nine of them. The uh, sounds like a lot of teams, including the Celtics, were calling to see if uh, they were going to trade. Bridges and Cam Johnson after getting those guys from the Suns just because everyone looked at it and was like, they have 9,000 wings and no <laughs> shot creation. Uh, but they kept everybody. And Do you think the Eastern Conference is dramatically different today than it was 24 hours ago? I mean, obviously, that, I said that's a dumb question because I realized Kevin Durant was just traded. Yeah. Kevin Durant was traded, so yes. Yes, Yes. so the Nets, I'm counting the Nets as no longer a contender, but with the three remaining teams, and you can put Cleveland in there. Cleveland was one of the teams, I think them and Chicago are the only teams that did not make a trade. Like, I don't know if that much has shifted in terms of like, oh, there's a new favorite, this team's drastically more dangerous. It feels like each team made a, a bit of a move to kind of add to their depth, but nothing really... Uh, dramatically changing the the scope of the West or Eastern Conference, other than the whole Kyrie Irving Kevin Durant trade. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, it's probably pro- like there was nothing other than the Durant and Kyrie trades. There was nothing like earth shattering. I thought the the Clippers the Clippers made a hell of a moves. They made got a Plumley. Bones Highland, Eric Gordon, like just three separate trades, just or, I guess three upgrades. Who knows if it will yeah, work? I, I felt, I like. I felt like they really needed someone who could like shoot and score off the dribble. Like, his name, Jackson, his name is Bones is Highland. 
Reggie Jackson's not that. John Wall's not that. Um, and I felt like in a playoff series, those, those guys were going to be major, major issues for them. And and now they got guys who can put the ball in the basket, which seems like a pretty good idea in the NBA. Uh, so I, I, I liked their moves. Um, but like, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, Washed up Eric Gordon, Bones Highland, who's just kind of a nut job who gets hot every once in a while, and Plumley, forgetting about like, Plumley. Whatever. But and, and look, they they had their backup center situation was awful, so Plumley is actually a significant upgrade for them. But when you're bringing in a Plumley, <laughs> you were the one advocating it, it, bringing in a Plumley last week. Did I advocate or did I put him on a list of potential targets? I think via your putting him on the list of potential targets, it was tacit uh, advocacy. I would argue. I would be uh, here too for. Well, I mean, if if you're bringing in a Muscala, it's not like the biggest deal ever. But Muscala was a good good addition. He was. He should be a helpful player, uh, and he gives them just a, a new way to play. With a pick and pop big off the bench. Do you think the so. Celtics add anyone in the buyout market? Uh, obviously, they're the first team in the East, and so you would think, given that they went to the finals last year, veterans looking to be on a team might look to the Boston Celtics. Um, I don't know. I've seen Danny Green's name thrown around a lot for buyout market because he got traded to the Rockets. I've seen a lot of people tweet about Nerland's Noel, which I don't know if they're just like, he's a Massachusetts native, so like bring him back, but I want no part in Nerland's Noel. Uh, Will Barton. That's a Nerland's No L uh, from you? Uh, it's more like Nerland's No W because he's not impacting winning. Am I right, folks? Um, <laughs> Will Barton, apparently, I just don't know if he's like bringing in. Like I don't even know who the Celtics would target right now. Like what type of player? Maybe a go like a, just another wing for some some depth behind Tatum. I did like the uh, suggestion I saw. I think I can't remember who tweeted this, but Terrence Ross on the Orlando Magic, just so you don't have to play him ever again. But I just don't know if the Celtics bring in anyone at this point. They could. They certainly like people will probably want to play for the Celtics, but I just their roster feels pretty full at the moment. Yeah, and it'll be interesting. Because uh, they do have extra money. They have the disabled player exception from Danilo Gallinari's injury. So they will be able to offer players more money than other situations. And that could be a big deal. Plus, they are obviously one of the title favorites. And guys could want to sign up with them to get a ring. But they just don't have many minutes to go around. And anybody who wants to play a significant role will probably look at their situation and think, eh, if if I want minutes, if I want touches, like that might not be it for me. Um, so if they could get a Danny Green, that'd be great. Who knows what he has left after coming back from a torn ACL. He's 35. He's just played in three games for Memphis, but none of them were particularly impressive. Uh, and then Will Barton, like, He's not getting minutes on the Wizards. He probably wouldn't on the Celtics. Uh, so the buyout market is always like, I think Danny Green would be the one I'd be most intrigued by just because he has a long history of helping winning teams. 
and he knows what it takes and and he'd be a wing and and like that would be now that they've picked up a backup center now you know a little wing depth would be would be nice but honestly like whoever they pick up in that spot probably won't be a major difference maker if they do go out and get someone in the buyout market which they probably will because they do have an open roster spot the buyout market the buyout market is just all the residual post-trade deadline hope of the Celtics adding a player I love the transition from immediately after the deadline when people just start tweeting ridiculous things about the buyout market like anything when's the last time someone on the buyout market really made a, a huge difference I can't remember uh pj brown pj brown made a huge difference uh but even pj but like that took a while for him to get back in shape and he wasn't really a buyout because he didn't play at the start of that season so buyout market is even more irrelevant i'm trying to think who were the best buyout players ever i'm actually googling it right now uh Derek fisher one year yeah, we all remember that year where Derek Fisher came in on the buyout market and changed With everything. The thunder? What? <laughs> Boris Diaw. Boris Diaw, bro. I think they should buy out and sign Boris Diaw right now just for his cappuccinos. I think that would bring some life to the locker room. Boris Diaw, bro. They should sign Boris Diaw. I think it would be a win. I'm a big Boris Diaw guy. Who isn't? Who's out there is is a, a, a hater of Boris Diaw? That would be absurd. Yeah, I think he signed with the Spurs in 2012 off off the buyout market, and then they went to back to back finals. And and he was a huge contributor for for maybe the greatest team that ever lived <laughs> in 2014. So like that was just wild. Wild, wild stuff. Well, I didn't expect us to get to a discussion of Boris Diaw, but it just goes to show folks out there that when it comes to uh, basketball or life, I would say anything is potable. What do you think, Jay? Yeah, the trade deadline is certainly potable. It's certainly potable. The Celtics add Mike Muscala, and if they do anything in the buyout market, we'll be here to discuss it. They'll continue play I think four more games before the all-star break Jalen Brown will be out we'll see how they react to that thank you guys for listening to this episode of 